0: As things unfold, we're naturally going to adapt, we're accelerating into these changes that a lot of visionary people have had for a long time, but haven't had the demand to put these, these things into action.
1: Wow! I love human music. This is some hot grooves, hey eh, Quinn?
2: Yeah! And the best part was, they were performed by our guests for today.
1: Whoa. We're studying a musician today?
2: Partially. Turns out there is also an engineer and an amateur astronomer.
1: Ah. And best part, the entanglement crystal, it's up and running, so we'll be able to see video face to face with an earthling. First time.
2: Yup. Yeah. So our earthling's name is Douglas Lee. He's an engineer who builds all kinds of things, but specializes in transit systems. Not just any transit systems, either. He's been the lead track designer for three of the biggest public transit systems in the earthling state of California, and worked on expanding the only public rail system in all of Arizona.
1: Yep. I read. In 12 years he's been working as a civil engineer, he's always pushed for using new technologies to get things done, and prides himself on being a dedicated mentor to the young ones, too. His great hope is that the next generation will be able to use cutting-edge technology to fold art into the design of bridges, transit systems, buildings, so human structures harmonize with the Earth to promote better, richer, fuller human living.
2: That's because, although he designs systems by trade, he has the heart of an artist. He's toured the worlds, alone as a bass player, and with his band, RDL+. They've produced original compositions with dozens of musicians as part of the Bay Area Bridges Artist Residency Program. It's this ability to bring people together in the name of a central vision that makes Douglas Lee so inspiring to talk to. Wow. Yup.
1: I'm stoked. Let's give him a call.
2: Yeah, let's do it.
1: I saw he's spending his day with his lovely family. Hopefully we can borrow him for a minute.
2: Alright, call him up.
1: I'll get the crystal. I'll be here. <laughs> Earthlings are funny looking.
2: That's a nice beard.
1: Yeah, look at all that hair.
2: Almost as good as mine.
1: <sighs> oh wait, yeah, are we go- are we going? We're going. <laughs> this is our first time talking to an earth engineer. Earth <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting.
0: This is exciting. I'm talking to the aliens. Yay. Oh, it's crazy. Let me get out of my earthling
2: house. Where should I go? You look like you live in a spaceship, man.
1: (laughs) (coughs) It's made out of wood. It's like made out of trees or something.
0: I'm going to a, a quiet place. We have lawn. We're mowing the lawn over there. Ah, oh, okay. Here we are. <laughs> so how are you guys doing?
1: Very good. I just slept for like a whole week. How <laughs> much to do out in space. Yeah. What's going on on Earth?
0: Uh, you don't know?
1: Doesn't look good. (laughs) COVID-19? Yeah, we studied that a little bit.
2: (laughs) Looks like the situation is still developing, but tentatively okay, maybe?
1: Things are better, things are worse. What's your perspective?
0: Well, things are better for me on a day-to-day. I don't have to commute to the office to work. I can work from home. So I've had more time with the family, more time with uh, homeschooling, my kids getting involved in their education firsthand, Um, cooking better food, not eating out, saving money by not having to travel, um, not driving as much, all positives, all positive changes for sure.
1: Is that the way it is for most engineers on Earth right now? (laughs) Oh, this is fun. Um, Yeah, I mean,
0: there's a lot of my colleagues that are enjoying the same benefits, most definitely. Um, Nobody likes commuting, and it wastes a lot of time and energy. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of jobs are connected to commuters. You know, Uh, lunchtime, cafes, parking attendants, cleaners, building security bus drivers, train drivers, you name it. Um, a lot of folks are connected to commuting, but uh, who wants to commute when you don't have to? Just like us, we're video, we're video conferencing, connecting uh, over the, inter- the internet. So we can do the same with our work. It's really good.
2: That's true. So that sounds like it's gonna change a lot of things though
0: yeah um my my company has um, announced uh, that we're going to be working from home um, from here on you know we're're we're, we're not turning back we're going to have the freedom to work from home uh, for the foreseeable future of the company, and we're adjusting the way we operate to account for that. Um, obviously there's some downsides not being able to create personal relationships. It's a little different when it's only over the internet. So uh, we're still gonna find ways to meet up in person, probably more for recreational fun, fun stuff and make the relationships that way. Um, and then uh, work,
2: work from home and good stuff. Do you think that you're still gonna build things? You know, this
0: is a fun one because uh, I work in transit engineering and uh, designing light rail systems to uh, bring people to work. So uh, if more companies adopt the work from home option, there's gonna be less demand for transit uh, long term. Um, so uh, surprisingly with transit engineering, it's, we're kind of looking at a low, a low point, especially uh, because of the COVID, um, there's less fare box revenue um, and some of their projects are being deferred because of their budget shortfalls from the reduced commuters. Um, however, you know, there's still strong support for for transit and, and it seems to be something that gets subsidized during downtimes by the government. So um, while the, econ- the rest of the economy might go down, you know, the, the federal government can put funding to build more infrastructure for transit um however long term i think that's going to change so uh
1: we'll see we'll see what see what happens i have some ideas about that so there's still going to be all of these railroads just sitting around right
0: (laughs) yeah and you know with covid i mean right now uh basically the um the social distancing rules have required that trains run at 50% capacity.
1: Less um, so people,
0: less people riding the trains. So they're still going to be running trains, but they're not going to be able to fill them up at least for until this COVID situation gets resolved. Um, but even then, will it rebound back to uh, its previous? Uh, ridership levels. They're not thinking that's going to happen until 2022 to 2023 uh, before we see a full rebound of the transit system. So we're going to have a couple of years with uh, a much lower ridership. Um, So, you know. So what are you going to do with all that extra space? Uh,
2: (laughs) That's a good question.
0: (laughs) That's where it gets fun. So one of the things that we do in, um, with my colleagues is every Friday we do an innovation, uh, an innovation meeting, just one hour and we talk about innovation. We do a reflection and a projection. So we reflect on our week and then we project um, what, what the possible solutions might be for that. Um, and, you know, one of the, the issues we've been looking at is reduced fare box. How do these transit agencies subsidize um, their revenue? Um, they can have as many people. And so uh, one of the ideas that I came up with was to to use these autonomous uh, robots that are are doing delivery, you know, and get those robots to board the train. And uh, so it would be like using the transit system as part of the delivery backbone.
2: So would people yeah. pick up their deliveries from the train station? Well, so...
0: The idea is a little something like this, right? Uh, well, first of all, there's already a company out there. It's called KiwiBot
1: that's been doing uh, food deliveries. Kiwi, in, on, Kiwi, Kiwi Bot. Kiwi Kiwi
2: Are they Kiwi from bot. Kiwi?
1: Are they from New Zealand? <laughs> no, they're they're in Berkeley, and
0: uh, they they it's basically like a it's like a, a robot that's about the size of an ice chest. And it's autonomous, it drives around. So someone wants to order a cheeseburger, right? The robot drives to the cheeseburger place and the restaurant loads the food into the into the butt and the butt uh, drives itself to the uh, the customer and the customer can retrieve the food. So the problem with that is it it can only go, you know, so many miles and it, it's kind of limited in its range, right? So if you could get that robot to board a train you can increase the range of these of these delivery systems so um
2: you know i've looked at some of these uh, train stations that you humans have on earth and (laughs) there's a lot of staircases in there can the robots go up and down stairs
1: can they fly
2: (laughs) okay well you know that all
0: platforms are ada accessible so that means um you know people with disabilities are able to board the the trains through elevators, um, and ramps. So, you know, an at-grade station, so a station that's just right there on the street level, there's ramps to easily accommodate a rolling robot, right? So Um, robots are
1: disabled too? Uh,
0: No. (laughs) Well, they, they're not as, uh, competent as a, as a human. Uh, but, uh, anyhow, um, you would be able to like get on the train through the elevators, but definitely underground and above ground stations, you would need to have some special accommodations to, to get robots on and off, you know, efficiently. Um, but yeah, just tonight, a, just, uh, a, you know, you could start off and do a, a small pilot program and, and pick some easier locations to try it. Um, but, um, you know, technology could be extended to so many other industries. And, um, you know, one of the thoughts I had was for also pharmaceuticals, you know, pharmacy could, could deliver medicine from um, anywhere near a transit system to anyone else near a transit system. Um, And, and so it would be an, you know, uh, an alternative to these, you know, UPS, FedEx, DHL, Amazon's got their own delivery. You know, those, the, delivery is, uh, its you know, those trucks are loud. They take up a lot of space. Um, you could downsize this and have something a little more um, compact and efficient.
2: So, okay, let's say that there are companies that start to deliver things using robots. What are the immediate benefits that we would see? Well, again, you know,
0: I, I'm not... I, it's hard to say if this would even work, right? Sure. Um, at this point... Well, maybe you con- can...
2: Maybe maybe start with why it wouldn't work, and then we can talk about what would happen if it did work.
0: Yeah, so... Some of the challenges, obviously, is, is access, and you get access to all the stations. Um, and, and... And also...
2: Do you think um, the humans would be okay with robots all over the place? Well, that's that's the
0: next thing is the, the public acceptance of it. So uh, that was that was what I was going to say next. Actually, you read my mind. Um,
2: I can do yeah, that sometimes.
0: You know, there's people will be like, I don't want a robot driving around my my neighborhood. Um, I don't, I you know, that's too far out for me. Well, it's interesting hearing uh, some people who have interact with these robots is, like, the robots get stuck, and people are kind, and well, like, you know, if a robot turns on its side, people will come and pick it up and, and help it along. Um, uh-huh. In any case, uh, you know, also an issue with is security. You know, people might try to steal, you know, what's in the robot, so how do you secure them? Um, uh, there's safety on the trains. How do you keep the train safe? What if someone puts something bad in the robot that you don't want to have on the train? So... There's there's threats um, on that on that front, um, but uh, on a long-term scale, with more acceptance of, of these bots, um, you know, it, it might become something that's uh, more you know more accessible and 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 people prefer that over a big diesel FedEx truck driving up down your street three or four times a day, so.
2: What do you figure would happen to all of the people who drive the trucks, though? You have a lot of those people on Earth, right? Uh, you know, when
0: when I was in elementary school, uh, my, my mom is a is a teacher, and uh, she told me some statistic. I don't remember the exact number, but let's just throw it out there like twenty percent of the jobs that the Future children are going to have don't even exist yet. Um, so sounds like a good teacher, your mom. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, think about. I mean, when I was in elementary school, there was no such thing as, uh, you know, internet. Right. And look how many people um, in my age group who went on to become web web developers. Like, there, you know, that that's a whole new field that uh, nobody even knows uh, knew about, and uh, you can't predict that stuff. At this early, so you know, uh, maybe for the current drivers, they'd slowly, you know, have to change careers as they get displaced. But long term, I would hope that we'd have some new, new jobs, uh, new career, new fields out there for
1: people to do. How do you? Um, yeah, you know. can you teach humans how to adapt? <laughs> These humans, man, we're tricky, aren't we? Uh so tricky. We're trying to understand you guys, so.
0: This is useful research. Yes. You you know, the humans, well, they can adapt. And actually, this COVID um, is accelerating a lot of adaptations in humans. Um, Things that uh, were on the wish list that all of a sudden sudden have been uh, becoming reality. Um, And uh, albeit under not the best circumstances, but we're being forced to adapt just to survive. So. Um, it kind of takes these big events to push humans to the next level of existence here on the planet. So,
1: well, like you,
2: Go ahead, Dickie. Sorry. I was just
1: thinking it seems like you're evolving in quantum leaps. <laughs> you know, absolutely.
0: Whatever that means. Uh, it, you know what's interesting is uh, some of my coworkers were telling me how you know they were getting tired of tired of spending so much time working, and uh, you know, I had the same feelings, and what do you know? COVID-19 strikes, and um, although it's a tragedy, uh, the deaths and the sick and, and everything, it's it's forced companies to shut down and change our ways, and it's opened up this amazing ability to work from home, which the technology was there, it just wasn't the impetus to Move society in that direction. Now that impetus is is there to make that change, and so we've made that change, and it's been a huge benefit to
1: everyone. So you all work from home. That means you can live wherever you want now, right? I mean, you can go and live in the forest. You can live by the water. You don't have to live in the city. Maybe.
0: Actually. I live outside the city um, happily, and um, but yeah, there's there's actually been a um, an exodus of people who were told not to show up to the office and decided to stay uh, in the tent, you know, where their families uh, grew up in the in the Midwest or on um, you know uh, more deeper into the nature. Um, so yes, uh, absolutely, we can work from anywhere, and our design teams can be built from multiple locations. We don't have to be geographically concentrated in our abilities. We can spread out our abilities across the planet, um, really. And, um, able, we're able to connect bigger groups of people more efficiently. Um, so where you live doesn't matter anymore. And in fact, I, I, I imagine people are going to want to leave these city centers because they're, uh, they're not ideal places for humans. Um, they're in a, there's no connection with nature. There's no connection with the planet when you live in these city centers. It's, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's all man-made. And, and even when you do have natural features like a park, it's all man, man's uh, vision for what, what's beautiful. And it's not actual real nature, untouched nature, untouched beauty. So,
2: so if people leave the cities because all of a the sudden they can live somewhere beautiful, it's far away or because the offices close and they stay at their houses to work or they go to a different space to work what's going to happen to those city centers because those buildings are going to take a long time to get reclaimed by nature you know those temples built in latin america are still around thousands of years later not going anywhere
0: they say the cats will dominate right um (laughs) Uh, but, yeah, absolutely correct. Um, the, the downtown centers right now, I mean, we're, we unfortunately signed like a five-year lease or something like that. And, uh, you know, we're going to hold on to our office space um, for the coming years. But Your engineering um, place? Yeah, my engineering firm, would, would, you know, we're locked into a lease. So we're going to have a presence, an office presence. Um, even though no one's showing up right now, we'll hold on to that. Um, until the duration of the lease, uh, but once that's done, I imagine a lot of these other companies are going to be working from home just like we are, and they're going to feel the need to re- either reduce or eliminate their office space altogether. Um, y- you know, I think Twitter announced uh, they're they're never going to require someone to work in an office. And uh, uh, what's interesting is in San Francisco, there's been a huge boom in 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 development in the downtown and you know, this is where the tech tech companies are headquartered. This is where this is where the people have been flocking. You know, in this in this tech boom, um, and they have all these fancy, brand new office buildings. Um, but at the same time, they're telling them their employees you can work from anywhere now. Um, so, uh, what what is possible is that you could uh, convert these these office spaces into something uh, something new. And you, you know, they've with the housing issues, they've taken old offices and could have converted them to residential. But um, what I've imagined is that these places will be converted to more of an industrial um, center of manufacturing. And um, this is where you could take all this transit stuff and transit network and you could incorporate the transit into the the distribution system uh, where all of the you know, what historically was for businesses and office space in these downtowns could be converted to your industrial, um, local production, um, locally made, locally sourced, uh, much more sustainable and uh, um, in industry practices, clean, right? You can do this inside a building because it's a clean process um, and, and go from there and use your transit system that's already in place, um, great, efficient infrastructure to do distribution of goods. Um, so
1: so the cities become I, sort of uh, shipping centers or production centers? Shipping yeah, and production it, centers? You know, this is the exciting
0: thing is, is a lot of the new technology for, um, you know, 3D printing and um, CNC machines, um, laser cutting. Um, you know, I have a friend who developed a, a coffee roaster where you just dump. Uh, raw coffee beans in and it spits out roasted beans um it's sort of a black box machine that's you know you just plug it in and and it does its thing um and i've I've imagined all kinds of machines i've heard of a a process where you dump in um you know uh, milk jugs on one side and it spits out a a toilet seat on the other you know um you can recycle (laughs) you can recycle this plastic uh, and, and have re- you know recycling done in and, in and, and a clean way and used to for 3 d printer ink um, you could do this with with clothing and and have clothing uh, repurposed in in a clean facility you know that's that's not polluting
1: um, do you see that printer. happening in the cities or in the country where you live or where's that going on
2: yeah what's so the pressure is- that makes it happen in the cities versus the country well I guess. The city would be a good place
0: to create new uh, new goods uh, because because of the concentration of, of transportation in these city centers. And, you know, you have nearby ports um, rather than, uh, you know, have this stuff out in uh, factories and mass produce one thing. You could have more of um, smaller units um, and, and maybe use use the city center as a place for dealing more with the raw materials. Um, and converting the raw material raw materials to usable products um maybe uh like I said three d printer ink i mean it's uh you know a plastic compound, right and we have all this plastic, maybe you send it to the downtown, have these things get recycled created into 3d printer ink, then you could distribute that ink out to uh places where they're actually building building products um and and then it, man this is just this is just one part of it. I mean um, you could you could be doing a lot of production in your neighborhood um and have neighborhood uh centers and whatnot so uh, what would that look of-
1: like that sounds kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you guys are very curious well, um, oh, we're scientists we are trying to understand humans uh,
2: Yes, so. And working no. with engineers is really the best way to do it. You guys, you guys have crazy brains.
0: You know, engineering is applied science.
2: So um, we
0: take the scientific knowledge and we use it to do things, make things. Um, and, and part of the reason why I wanted to be an engineer is I wanted to use my mind to help help others by making their improving their lives, right? And that's ultimately why I got into transit, but. Um, Wow, One of the things that's so frustrating is is nowadays is that there's no ability to fix anything. Things get broken, and it's it's you know called planned, um, uh, abs- uh obsolescence. Hmm. the word?
2: That's what's going to happen we- to Mickey in another couple hundred years. He doesn't know <laughs> yet, though.
1: I'm staying up on things. Give me a break. He
0: tries. <laughs> you, you know, things. Uh, I heard Segways discontinuing with their iconic two wheel. You know, um, self-balancing little thing. Problem is, no one's buying new ones because what they initially built was really high quality; it didn't break, and people aren't replacing them. And there's not a, you know, they're not a huge demand for them. But um, companies regularly engineer things to break just after the warranty period, and um, yeah. it's a type of engineering that is designed purely for profit. And um, sounds like a lot of know, trash.
2: Yeah. And, um, do train engineers know, do this sort of thing, too? Absolutely not. Good, <laughs> good. We don't design things to break
0: um, when we're designing things for the public. Uh, we, we definitely design it to last as long as possible. In fact, most of the infrastructure in the United States is living well beyond its design life and needs to be replaced, actually. But um, uh, just a testament to the previous engineers who, who built a lot of our modern world. Um, they've, they've done quite well. Uh, we need to replace, though. We're getting past the lifespan. That's a whole other subject. But uh, back to it. yeah, as, as far as uh, planned obsolescence, the right to repair is so important. I, you know, my laptop broke, my computer screen broke, and I wanted to fix it. And uh, obviously, you know, the company that built my laptop doesn't want me to do that. They want me to take it to their shop, but actually is able to order the parts. And there are uh, websites out there dedicated, you know, I fix it. Is will give you step-by-step instructions to repair your phones and, and things that most people don't think they're capable of. They'll sell um, special parts that you need, and it's much more affordable. Um, so the right to repair is a, is a movement that's happening where people are demanding the right to repair their products um, that they purchase. And with more right to repair, more abilities um, to use 3D technology, more abili- uh, abilities to be creative um, and, and with our future generations, they're gonna be well dapped in 3D printing and laser cutting using the latest and greatest tools. That my vision, my grand vision is that we have community, we have community um, centers where we have all the tooling and facilities uh, available to, to the public to repair the existing, existing products and, and to develop new products um, and have, have access to basically a community production facility. Um, wow. Could even cycling there and, uh, that will basically, you know, reduce the demand for global products. You can make more of the products. You can fix more of the products. You can keep your, your needs at home in your neighborhood with your neighbors, um, all supporting each other, uh, creatively, uh, creatively solving problems, creatively making things that, that you need. Um, and, and not have to worry you know, uh, about global trade and shipping and, and all this stuff. It's, it's all right there.
2: I've read that on Earth most of the humans that are in charge of countries spend a lot of time worrying about things like GDP and the amount of things that the people in those countries are buying and selling. And the plan that you're discussing seems like it would interrupt that. It would sort of cut a lot of the buying and selling out, because if you can recycle, why would you need to buy a new one? If you can go to your community center and build something from scratch, you significantly lower the pressure to buy something new. Do you think that there's any kind of resistance to this idea of being able to repair things and recycle them?
0: Well, you know, absolutely. Um, company, no, no company wants their profit, um, uh, lost, uh, to people fixing their stuff. They want to sell you something new. Um, however, in this COVID-19 situation, um, a lot of companies are, uh, are shutting down, um, their their businesses because there's nobody selling uh, you know stores aren't open and what we're finding is that uh, people have been over consuming and buying new things that don't need to be replaced and you know demand for products has gone way down Um, people are waking up to the fact that we're we've been working 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 um, just to buy more stuff and it's an endless cycle that is not rewarding and uh, so a lot of these companies might, you know, might just go out of business, um, you know, just as a result of, of this change caused by this virus. Um, and, and so slowly, I think the nature of business is going to change and a whole different, um, a whole different, uh, economy unfolds. So these, it, it might be a necessity to be able to fix stuff because the company that built your refrigerator it no longer exists, or the company that was makes the spare parts is no longer functioning. You might need to do this yourself. You might need to 3D print a special part to keep things running.
2: Um, I see. So, so this is less a pie-in-the-sky version of how things should be and more an estimation of how they're going to need to be in order to deal with the fact that everything's kind of falling apart a little bit on earth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, with the COVID, it's like the we've had the technology to work from home, but companies were unwilling to embrace that change because they thought it would hurt their bottom line. Now we're seeing that it's the only way to survive. Um, so there's going to be... Uh, as things unfold, uh, we're naturally going to adapt, and the adaptations that we're needing uh, and things that we thought of are accelerating into place. Ex- we're accelerating into these these changes that a lot of visionary people have had for a long time, but haven't had the demand or the opportunity um, to to put these these things into action. Now now they're coming into action. So looking at where we're at now and projecting forward it's it seems like a logical step that is naturally going to happen i mean i i know people who 3d printed parts to fix uh little things around the house that they couldn't find a spare part to order and they just um uh, you know scanned the part and had it reprinted and
1: installed and it works um that's
0: going to be happening on a more regular basis perhaps
1: you know i'm a scientist so I kind of tend to think of these things in terms of natural processes. And I noticed on Earth, a lot of times the forests burn to the ground. And it turns out to be a really healthy thing because you get a lot of new growth. And the new growth is able to adapt to the world better. So I wonder if this is in a sort of natural turning over. Yeah.
0: um, I've heard this virus has been described as a as a cleansing event on the earth um and it, it seems to like i That sounds ominous. It, it it seems to be an answer to a lot of people's sort of desires uh for their life or recognizing some inner inner problems and so uh we're seeing uh, you know we're seeing a lot of dysfunction that's in the world right now with our our political system um and the dysfunction is we it, it can no longer hide um the people are too, all too aware of what's what's wrong, and are demanding change right now. So, this is really a magical um, time to be on the Earth. Um, not to disparage people who who have died from this virus, but it, it's a it's a time to renew ourselves and to rethink how we live and how we interact with each other, and how we interact with the planet.
2: What do you think? will be the role of creativity in the future. The world that you're describing is a world where people have a lot more power over the ways that things look. So instead of going to a store and everything is already made for you, and you can choose between what's at the store, you can go to your community center and 3D print something. Right? So... Now that the machines are taking care of the difficult parts of it, the sort of the, the mathematics of it, how does creativity expand in that world?
0: You know, already like, yeah, already because of the COVID, um, because people have, you know, let's say an extra five to 10 hours a week, um, available to them. That's so much time. Yeah. You know, just with those extra hours, um, I, for instance, have planted a garden, Um, you know, and I have a thriving garden right now. What are you growing? I I, want to start a garden. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm growing, you know, fruit trees, uh, tomatoes, onions, kale, uh, broccoli, herbs, um, blueberries, and uh, it's been going great. But, you know, already we're seeing a more time to create. Doing, uh, people are, Revisiting hobbies, um, and so we're already taking advantage of this time to use our own creativity. Um, one of the things that's happening in my in my industry is that uh, as engineers, uh, the software has has does a lot more of the hard work that we, you, know, you know number crunching that we used to have to do uh, with calculators and before that slide rules and before that just longhand calculations. Now that's all done by the, by software that, that automatically does the work. And so, uh, we're spending more time in the conceptual phase of projects doing conceptual design and, and then, then we are focused on just finding something that functions, right? We want to find something that's conceptually more elegant, more beautiful, um, whether anyone recognizes, uh uh, a rail maintenance facility is beautiful, but there is an elegance to to this stuff or a, a station layout. And uh, so we get to spend more time doing conceptual work. And as as more of the, t- the technical challenging parts of engineering goes towards uh, into the software, into AI systems, um, we're, that's going to open up more room for creativity. So in addition to the more free time we have, we're going to be more efficient in how we live and and how we use our time, we're going to have more time for creativity and we're going to have a much more creative society. Absolutely.
2: How will people make money? Do you have any sort of thoughts about that? (sighs) Because this all seems like a wonderful idea. It's beautiful. I love this vision. It's the most beautiful vision of the human future that I think anybody has presented. (laughs)
0: yeah you know making money right uh well it turns out you don't need as much money when you stop buying stuff and um when you don't have to commute and uh if you're not eating out dinners and you're cooking more um you know you don't need as much money when you have your own garden and every meal you're able to pick an item from your garden
1: we don't have any money on our spaceship yeah uh that's because we're broke mickey well, I grow my own That's worms. True. That's true. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm not an economist.
0: I don't have the answers uh, about economy. But what I do know is that we think we need more than what we need. And uh, we can get most of what we need. Uh, well, first of all, we already have what we need. Um, the only things we really need is, is, to, is to maintain our shelter and, and, and to have food. I mean, Beyond that, I mean we got a lot of stuff already um, uh, we need electricity we need we need water we need uh you, you know util, you know internet um and and just handfuls of durable goods and electronics right um, not much else um
2: we're losing Mickey no he's come back never mind. I thought that he was doing it he sinks sometimes
1: you guys get tired. I sleep like a whole human earth week at a time. So <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm like a hundred thousand earth years old anyway, so give me a break. <laughs> good stuff. All right, engineer. <laughs> you got a lot of good ideas. Yeah, we're gonna I think the humans are gonna be alright.
2: Yeah, with more ideas like this, it's it's looking pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Would be would be great. Um, when are you guys gonna start your garden on your spaceship?
2: Well, I've been missing with the oxygen production module. So while that's down, it might make sense to grow some plants, Mickey.
1: <laughs> I'm up for it. You got any advice?
0: <laughs> oh man. Uh, you know, I was, I've been watching this, uh, on, on, since I've started a garden, I, I've been watching this guy named MI Gardener. Uh, I think MI is Michigan, um, uh, Michigan, Michigan Gardener, but, uh, he's got a lot of really great ideas about how to maximize your space in your garden and what plants to plant with other plants. Right. Um, you know, like tomatoes require a lot of nitrogen in the soil. Um, and if you plant beans right next to your tomatoes, the beans actually add nitrogen to the soil. So you can have a symbiotic uh, planter boxes. And this is something that industrial farming has ne- has never been able to accomplish, right? They use chemical fertilizers. Um, but on a home gardening level, you can, you can create these synergistic uh, garden beds that feed, uh, and they feed each, the the plants will feed themselves, um, feed each other. Wow. Um, and you get very productive space, uh, you know, much more efficient use of the space than like an industrial system that requires chemical and big tractors and all this stuff.
2: Well, time to plant a garden then. I
1: thought. seems like a natural evolution. I read that the human chemicals fertilizers came from bomb factories when they were busy killing each other during the world wars.
2: The, the people who invented the nitrogen fertilizer on Earth actually had a chemical factory at Auschwitz. There you go. Ouch. Yeah. yeah.
1: So this chemical- seems like a natural step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, you know that... What's happening in the industrial farming, right? Is is as they just use fertilizer um, to keep their crops moving. They're depleting the nutrients in the soil, and they're not they're not replacing the nutrients that they take out of the soil. Um, so, having a home garden and and doing doing your research on soils and and understanding how to support each different plant, you can have a much more um, sympathetic and sustainable sustainable system unlike our industrial farming and the food is just it tastes so good i don't know if you've ever grown your own herbs there's when they're fresh they taste so much better than anything you can buy in the store uh, it's so much much more fulfilling to eat
1: well i eat fresh worms mostly but
2: <laughs> and I, <laughs> I eat radioactive I rocks, those... rocks but i like the idea of vegetables just as a theory, you know?
1: They'd be fun to have around, even if we don't eat them.
2: We can study how they communicate. <laughs> I like this idea.
1: Scientists. You guys are funny. Well, that's a beautiful world, Mr. <laughs> Engineer.
2: Tell us your name.
1: Yeah, who are you, by the way? <laughs> My name's Doug Lee. Doug Lee. Hi, Doug Lee. (laughs) Well, thanks for talking to us.
0: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'd love to to talk to you guys again. Maybe uh, give an update sometime, and maybe I'll have some new ideas to share with you guys. I bet you will.
2: Yeah, you sound like you have a lot of ideas, man.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Far out ideas. But um, maybe not so far as we thought, huh? Yeah. Things
1: really fast. Beautiful, man. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Yeah, guys. Thanks so much.
0: Um, We'll talk to you again. Have a great sleep for
1: a week there. (laughs) I always do. Bye. (laughs) Bye.